Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Which MLB wildcard race has the best chance to go to distance of the regular season? Plus, the rookie quarterbacks with the best shot to start come NFL Week 1. And the biggest takeaways from the Kevin Durant and Draymond Green interview. It's episode 36 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What's going on, everybody, here on Thursday, August 19th, 2021, episode 36 of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much again for tuning in. If you've missed it, we've got our visuals set up on YouTube. If you're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, same old, same old. And if you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, not sure if you can hear it in the background, but it is wet out there. We got apparently there's remnants of Tropical Storm Fred, I believe. And then, you know, here in Massachusetts, we don't get a break. You know, they got Henri, which is very odd. It's basically spelled like Henry, H-E-N-R-I. They got that coming up, and they've got the whole cone of uncertainty. So we don't know if that thing's going to make a direct hit on Massachusetts, if it's going to just blow right past. We don't know, but it is going to be wet the next couple of days if you're in the Massachusetts area or in the New England area, really, when you look at that map of the of uncertainty the remnants basically like spread all throughout uh the new england area it gets up to like maine new hampshire and all that so hope you got your rain jackets and your umbrellas ready because it is gonna be a very wet one but of course we're not talking about weather we're talking about sports and nothing is more exciting right now than the chase for the postseason in the mlb and that's how we're gonna start our show i mean We talked last week about how tight things have gotten since the trade deadline and which division winners, or division leaders, I should say, are the most comfortable right now. This week, I want to look at the wild card, because the wild card has just been getting even more tighter from last week that we just mentioned. I mean, you look at the American League, it's basically come down to a five-team race. There are about five teams that are within four games of each other. You got the Oakland Athletics, you got the Boston Red Sox, you got the New York Yankees, the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Seattle Mariners. Now, the Mariners, I will say, are a very fringe team right now. It's a very fringe team right now. But realistically, in my eyes, I think it's a three-team race. Three-team race between Oakland, Boston, and New York. And looking at those, those three teams, I mean, This is definitely not a good stretch for the Athletics right now, especially losing Chris Bassett, their ace, on that cheek fracture. Very scary moment. You know, we were all hoping for the best, and luckily we did get the best. His vision's 20-20. You know, hopefully a speedy recovery for Bassett. But, I mean, he was 12-4, 3-2-2 ERA. That's the guy you want on the mound if you're the Athletics. And I talked about how much confidence I had. I mean... This was a really tough stretch that they just had to go through. They were 
on the road in Chicago against the White Sox. And then they had to host the San Francisco Giants in back-to-back series. You got to get two division leaders back-to-back while you're struggling. And right now, they've lost four straight. But still, when you look at the West, the division, they're only two and a half games down to the Astros because the Astros are struggling just as much as they are losing four straight. So that kind of balances out with each other. I mean, at the moment, when you look at the wild card standings, they are the second team in the wild card behind the uh, behind the Yankees, I should say. So they have the second wild card spot. That offense has just got to get back to where it was because I talked last week about how well their pitching was and you know losing Bassett is definitely going to hurt but as long as they can just sort of limp through I mean when you get to September when the month rolls around in September that's where things really pick up and that's where Oakland is really going to have to bear down but I mean you have Matt Olson, you have Matt Chapman you picked up Marte I mean this lineup should be capable of getting this team some offense because this pitching again I talked about if the bullpen can sort of hang around that's what it comes down to when you get into the postseason or you're fighting for the postseason if you have a good bullpen then you have a chance you have a chance if you have a great bullpen but speaking of pitching you know shifting to the Yankees side of things just looking at the way they performed basically in the last week or so I think their pitching has gotten much, much better. And I've been the biggest skeptic on their pitching for so long, for so long. But, I mean, they're winners of six straight right now. And their pitching is really helping us, helping them out. And when that pitching struggles, that offense comes around like it's supposed to. I mean, remember that Red Sox series when they got swept before the deadline, I believe. You know, they were getting blown out. They didn't have any chances. They were playing a bunch of AAA guys because they had their big COVID outbreak and stuff like that. But Anthony Rizzo's performing great for their deadline. Joey Gallo's starting to come around. But again, he's still a home runner strikeout kind of guy. And then you have your other guys who are sort of finding their mojo once again. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu. Those guys are starting to come around a little bit. I will say their struggle... Um, their schedule, I should say, a little bit on the favorite side. I mean, they did get the Red Sox, but I mean, I was very impressed with their with their series in Chicago, especially the Field of Dreams game, which, by the way, what a tremendous scene, a tremendous scene during the Field of Dreams. And I think that's got to be a yearly thing, not even just the, the Field of Dreams. But I mean, go to like the Sandlot or something like that. You know, that that was just surreal. Surreal. But going back to the schedule, I mean, really the most impressive series that they've had so far was against the White Sox, taking two out of three, even though they lost in that Field of Dreams game. Then they pick up a win against the Angels, and then they sweep the Red Sox in three games over two days. I think, you know, this weekend they got a four-game series against Minnesota, so I think I expect them to at least get two games, possibly three, and win that series. But then it gets a little harder, you know, two games in Atlanta against the Braves. But next weekend, when they travel to Oakland to take on the Athletics, I think that's going to be the one to really watch for. Because if they can win that series, I'm not talking about split it 2-2. If they can win, if they can get three games or if they can get four games out of this series, then I think they make the playoffs. I think regardless 
of that second spot. I think they will make it, whether the first team or the second team. Do I think they have a postseason run in them? Probably not. You know, they could get out of the wild card, but I don't see them really going the distance because, yeah, they're pitching, like I said, it's better, but it's against, you know, they've had a really easy schedule. You know, they've played Baltimore. They've played Seattle. They've played Miami, Kansas City. So, you know, it's these last series when it comes down to the last month and a half, that Oakland series. They travel to Anaheim. They host the Blue Jays. Um, they, you know, their finale, the regular season finale is a three-game set against Tampa. So, you know, there's still a little bit of skepticism there when it comes to the Yankees. And obviously, as a Red Sox fan, I will never root for them to make the postseason. But just seeing what I see in front of them, I think they have the capabilities to get into the postseason and get that wild card spot. That's how I see it. But then the third team, you have to talk about what the Red Sox have done. And we'll talk more about the Red Sox in the Let's Get Local segment. But just overall notes from the Red Sox, I mean, this is basically a hole that they have dug themselves. And they're not able to get themselves out of it. I mean, it was on Heim Bloom to make moves, and he really didn't make any moves. We still haven't seen any Kyle Schwarber recently. And they have just been struggling because... The pitching all year has been really something to question. But when that pitching is playing well and doing better than most, the offense is just not performing. You know, it's kind of come back down to earth. You know, that Baltimore series was good. And we'll talk more about it, as I said, in a future segment, in our future segment later on. But just, you know, I would not be surprised to see the Sox miss the postseason just the way they've struggled. And. They haven't been able to come out of it, basically. So if you're looking at those three teams, I think that's going to be the tightest one um, between the Athletics, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. You can make the case for any of them to make the postseason, any combination. You know, Oakland, New York, Oakland, Boston, New York, Boston. I mean, what a wild card game that would be if it was Red Sox, Yankees. That would be insane. Absolutely insane. But switching leagues and going to the National League, I think that's a little more set. Then the American League, because when you look at the standings, the Dodgers are in that first wild card spot and they lead by nine games. Nine games. So I think if they can't catch the Giants, they will definitely make it. And if they overtake the Giants and the Giants are in that first wild card spot, they'll definitely take it. So one of those two teams in the West, whoever's in second place, will make the postseason and get that first spot. But then that second spot gets a little more tricky because it's a lot closer. Than it was in the past. You got the Padres right now. Then it's Cincinnati, Philadelphia, and St. Louis, I believe. Not sure if that's the correct order. But those are the teams right now in contention. If you ask me, I think it's going to come down to San Diego and Cincinnati. Because when you look at the Padres right now, I had total confidence that they would be able to take that wild card spot and ward off any kind of challenges right now. But, I mean, they're sputtering. They are sputtering. I mean, they've lost... Seven out of eight. And these are not, you know, these aren't division leaders. We're talking the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. And keep in mind, they were no hit by a rookie in his first ever start. They were no hit by a rookie in Arizona. I mean, that shows you how much the offense is struggling. And it's not a good time because their schedule is getting much, much harder. They've still got nine games against the Dodgers and the Giants each. 
They've got to play the Astros, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Phillies. I mean, they have a very difficult schedule right now. And obviously, everyone's wondering about what is the health of Fernando Tatis Jr. Because when he's healthy, he's the best player in the National League, bar none. I said it very carefully, National League, not the entire MLB, because that goes to Shohei Otani and Vlad Jr. But Fernando Tatis Jr., when healthy, is the best player in the National League. And if his shoulder is not 100%, he's not that guy that we have seen over the course of this past year turn himself into an MVP candidate. I still think he is, and I know he had a two-home run game in that one game that they won over this stretch. But I don't I don't know because Tatis is kind of like that energy guy. He's that energy guy where if he's performing well, then the entire team will perform well. But, I mean, you're seeing games where Tatis is going one for four. Their big acquisition, Adam Frazier, is going one for four. You know, these complimentary guys like Eric Hosmer and Will Myers are going 0 for 4. You know, if these guys aren't performing at Tatis's level, then that's just an energy thing where if he's playing well, it's going to be at the top, and he's not, it's going to go all the way to the bottom. So Tatis is the biggest question mark for that Padres team. But I said the Reds were probably the best team to contend with San Diego, and I think they're coming together at the right time. And I mean, their offense has a great three-man punch right there. You got Nick Castellanos, 313 average, 21 home runs, 64 RBIs, 30 doubles. 30 doubles and we're in mid-August, okay? You have Joey Votto, who's been probably the most underrated player for his entire tenure with Cincinnati. The most underrated player in the entire MLB. I mean, right now he's hitting 281, 26 homers, 76 RBIs, and just a little bit ago he earned his 2,000th career hit. I mean, it's a very underrated career. And then you have Jesse Winker, another all-star who's 307, 24 homers, 71 RBIs, but they have to keep winning with him on the IL. He's on the 10-day IL, and you have to think, you know, what does this Cincinnati offense look like without him in the lineup? If he's out of the lineup, do they sputter, or is Castellanos and Vado going to be able to pick up his slack? And then in on, on the pitching side of things, I think it's a great one-two punch in the starting rotation with Wade Miley, who's having a career year, and Tyler Molly. I mean, they're both 10-4. and four. Miley's got a 2.84 ERA. Molly's got a 3.78 ERA. So if they come together at the right time, I think this can be a Reds team that can overtake San Diego if they continue to struggle. If you ask me, though, I think San Diego, they'll right the ship. They'll find their way back into that second wild card spot. And they'll find themselves in the postseason. But to get to the overall arching question that we mentioned in the tease. Which race has the best chance to go to distance? You got to pick the American League. It is that tight with that many teams. And you have so many interchangeable parts. You know, the Yankees have their struggles on pitching. The Red Sox have their struggles. The Blue Jays, they're really inconsistent. And the Athletics, who have all these injuries. I think you have so many interchanging parts where the Athletics can go from first to maybe fourth um, in about a week or two. You have the Red Sox, who were the best team in all of baseball at one point this season, and they might not even make the playoffs. And then you have the Yankees, who everyone's saying, oh, they're done, it's over, it's over. But then they get healthy, and they're back in contention. So I think the American League is going to be the tightest wild card race in the entire MLB. It's probably going to be the tightest race in all of baseball. So 
I'll be glued to my TV to watch how that wild card race unfolds. And all I know is the run to the postseason is going to get even tighter as the weeks go along. Now, as the rain picks up here in intensity today in Swampscott, Massachusetts, the intensity is also picking up in the NFL as the regular season is getting closer and closer. We've got week two of the preseason coming up. This week kicks off tonight against the Patriots and the Eagles. They just had some joint practices, but this week is talking about the rookie quarterbacks and just reviewing and seeing how they did in week one of the preseason and which ones are more slated to be starters right now. I mean, the top five who were selected in this past year's draft, right now I would say there are only two who are definite starters right now, and that's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. I mean, they weren't draft number one and number two just to sit on the sidelines. But then again, if you ask Jeff Fisher when he drafted Jared Goff number one, he sits on the sidelines. But as I mentioned, preseason week two kicks off tonight. The long game on the slate, Pats and Eagles, and this is another chance to see how Mac Jones performs. Of course, Mac Jones is the number 15 pick from this past year's draft. And when you look at what he did last week against Washington in the preseason, it wasn't all bad. I mean, 13 of 19 for 87 yards. And last week was just all about seeing how Jones is as a game manager. You know, I talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks that you can't make judgments on these quarterbacks just yet until you see them in an actual game. Once you see them in a game, then you can start to get a sense of how they are. So as a game manager, I thought Jones was very good. I thought he was accurate on most of his passes. He had great pocket presence. But I think if you're a Patriots fan, you shouldn't overreact about Mac Jones getting more playing time. Because like I said, when you see him in the game, you can start to make assumptions and start throwing out some possible scenario saying like oh he could start week one oh he could definitely come in during that pats bucks game i mean this week we're probably gonna see a little bit more of cam newton because he only played one quarter only one quarter for cam newton and i think you know if you're getting into the mind of bill belichick he was just thinking okay let's just see how mac jones is in the game Let's see how he is for an extended period of time, how he manages the offense. And, you know, so far he was good. He was good. Now we'll just see what Cam Newton can do if he gets any kind of improvement from last season. Because last season he was god-awful. God-awful. And so the rest of the preseason is just about how does he do, you know, same, same stretch as Mac Jones. He'll probably get a quarter, quarter and a half, maybe two. But if Cam Newton has made little to no improvement, then you'll see Mac Jones in there. But we don't know for sure. The other quarterback, though, probably the most talked about rookie from preseason week one was probably Justin Fields from Chicago. Picked 11th. I mean, he was the most talked about just because of how he played. Because Chicago, they only played Andy Dalton, who they said is their starter, only two series. Two series. The rest, the second and third quarter, was all Justin Fields. I mean, 14 of 20, 142 yards, two touchdowns, including a rush touchdown. 
and he ran the ball five times for 33 yards. Now, when you look at him and look at his highlights, at first, when he first came into the game, he did seem a little bit sloppy. He was a little bit sloppy. He fumbled the ball a couple times. He had some near interceptions. I will say his mobility was fantastic. Fantastic mobility when he has to get out of the pocket and he has to scramble and go get that first down. I think he's a good two-way running back in the sense that he can throw and he can run. That's very important. you know. But again, Chicago seems locked in on Andy Dalton being their starter. He's, they seem locked in on him being the starter if he's only playing that much. And I agree that Justin Fields probably isn't quite ready just yet. I mean, he did play good, but you got to remember, these are against second-string Miami Dolphin players. So you can't automatically say he should be the starter after one game because he's still a rookie. You're still seeing those rookie mistakes. And Chicago has basically gone on the plan of, We'll see what he can do learning behind a veteran in Andy Dalton. And like I said last week, I like Andy Dalton as a quarterback. I think, you know, he's a little bit past his prime, but he's still a capable starting quarterback in this league. But for Justin Fields, it's about learning behind and how much he can improve because he had a good game one. But again, like I said, he was sloppy. He was showing stuff that a rookie would do, you know. His next task is just going to be being aware in the pocket when he has to when he's forced out and he has to make some throws on the run. What is he going to do then? If he does good like that, then you can insert him in that starting lineup. But I think at this moment, if you were to say pick your your Chicago Bears starting quarterback for week 1, I would say Andy Dalton. Just cuz Justin Fields, he's going to be good. He's going to be a good quarterback in this league, and I think he will be the starter for the Bears sooner rather than later. But right now, just after one preseason game, you can't overreact to how accurate he was, you know, being 14-20. But when he got in a mojo, when he got into a rhythm, when he got into that game, he looked good. And if he's like that in a regular season game, then the future looks bright for the Chicago Bears. The future, though, is a little grim right now for Trey Lance, though, in San Francisco. I mean, that game one against the Chiefs definitely showed how much he is a rookie. I mean, the only highlight, basically, he had was his second-ever pass in the NFL, and it was an 80-yard touchdown throw, okay? So let's not go crazy. I mean, it was probably the highlight of the week, but it wasn't the best performance of the preseason. I mean, 5 of 14 128, a touchdown, and he was sacked four times, okay? And when you look at the game film when the 49ers played the Chiefs, I thought he had good agility. I think he has some great arm strength, like they talk about what they saw in training camp. But I think the next thing for Trey Lance to figure out is recognizing the blitz. Because he was coming in, their Chiefs were still playing Chris Jones, and Chris Jones is an opening day starter, That first sack, he basically bowled over the offensive line, and Lance had nowhere to go. But Trey Lance has to learn to recognize these blitzes and where they're coming from because Trey Lance and North Dakota State, totally different. Huge difference between North Dakota State and the NFL. It's a massive difference. And he's got to be able to recognize the blitzes because the packages are going to change from the defensive coordinator time after time after time. 
And he's just got to recognize where they're coming from and figuring out the mic and all that. But this game one, I thought, you know, out of all the rookie quarterbacks, he probably struggled the most. And Jimmy Garoppolo would still be my starter if I was Kyle Shanahan coaching the 49ers. I would stick with Jimmy G. He's, you know, a veteran. He's shown that he can lead you to the Super Bowl when he's healthy. That's really the only downside to Jimmy Garoppolo is that he just hasn't been healthy. You know, he had the torn ACL. He had the ankle injury. You know, when he's healthy, he's a capable quarterback. He is a capable quarterback. And you're also getting a full healthy team back. You know, you're getting Debo Samuel back. George Kittle is back. It's a healthy offense that can lead you once again to the postseason, especially in that West division, because it is a tough division. And if you perform well in that division, then your team will go a long way. But the overall question was, which rookie quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, because we know they're going to be starters, out of those three, between Mac Jones Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, which one of those three is going to be a starter first? You know, that's the that's the overall question that we're looking at, you know. Who has the best shot to start week one? And overall, for me, I would say Mac Jones out of those three has the best shot at starting week one. Not necessarily, you know, midseason, who starts first, but week one. Mac Jones has the best chance, all because of who he's being compared to, okay? Look at the comparisons that I just mentioned. Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo's had injuries. Justin Fields, Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, a solid starter. Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Newton struggled last year. He was on the struggle bus all year long. So, because that is your comparison... That is why, to me, Mac Jones has the best shot. Because, not you know, let's not compare him to Tom Brady. I'm not saying this, but it looks like he's a Tom Brady-esque guy. You know, he's not a mobile quarterback. He doesn't use the read option like Cam Newton does. He stands in the pocket, and he throws. And he's aware of his surroundings. So, that's why I would say Mac Jones has the best shot for Week 1. Week 1... Mac Jones has the best shot because if Cam Newton doesn't have any improvements heading into this preseason, then it should be Jones all the way. If Cam Newton does get better, then he will start. It's just about does Bill Belichick have the confidence to start a rookie quarterback week one versus going to what you know and what you saw last year with Cam Newton. But all I know is there's no need to overreact to these performances in week one. There is still plenty of game action to see from these rookies to see how well they improve or fail. So now we move on to the NBA, and now it's kind of the quiet part of the NBA season. I mean, Summer League just came to an end. Congrats to Sacramento for winning that. You had a couple guys signing extensions, Embiid, Smart, Rozier today. But I think the biggest story that's come out recently happened just yesterday when release on Bleacher Report was a full, uncut, unclean interview between 
former Warriors teammates Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. And there were a lot of sound bites to unpackage from this. Everyone came clean. It was, you know, uncensored. And I thought this topic right here is a great subject to reintroduce one of our segments, my favorite segment known as Hot Takes. Oh, hot, 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 hot. So the show is called Chips with Draymond Green, and it's basically about athletes with a chip on their shoulder. That's the narrative. And I got to say, Draymond and KD got real, got real. And after watching this, I got to say, just first off, before we get into the actual interview segment, Draymond Green is incredible at broadcasting, okay? When he retires, he is going to be great in sports media when you watch him on inside the nba given analysis i think he's great and not only that but he's a good personality you know he's a shaquille o'neal he's a charles barkley in that they have a character and he's not just a player he's a character and you know there's still a long way to go for for draymond he's only 31 years old and there's still a long way to go he could be playing for a couple more years so a little bit longer of a wait but i think if he does not get into any kind of broadcasting, that would be a shock to me. Absolutely shocking because he is the perfect guy to conduct these kind of interviews, to be an analyst. I think he's great for that. But to get into the actual interview, I mean, KD and Draymond, I'll throw out there, had a lot of quotes and explanations. And some of the ones that stuck out to me, you know, early on, Durant said, you know, he was talking about, you know, being this nice guy before going to the Warriors. And he talked about his uh, loss in the NBA Finals to the Heat in 2012 when he was still with Oklahoma City and there was a young Westbrook and a young Harden. And he said, quote, he was tired of being second because he wasn't satisfied with people complimenting him in that 2012 loss. Let me just unpackage it like this. Did anyone think... At the beginning of that 2011-2012 year, that Oklahoma City would be in the NBA Finals? I would say 8 out of 10 people would say no. They were predicting the Spurs or the Clippers or the Lakers. You know, that's what they were expecting. But the Thunder with Durant, who is, I believe, in his fourth season. I think that was his fourth season. Russell Westbrook, that was his third season. And I think Harden, that was only like his second. So this was still a very young team. And everyone's saying, oh, these guys are going to be future champs. They will be future champs. If you're that young into the league and you just made your first NBA Finals, take it. Don't say you're tired of being second place. I understand you want to win and go all the way. But if you're second place in your fourth year, like the ceiling can only go up from there. You can only go up, and that's becoming a champion. So when you're young like that, if people are saying you're going to be a future champ, you just say, okay, let's put in the work. Let's do it. And you can have that mentality of of tired of being in second place, but it just doesn't make sense for, for me, for Durant, because if he's saying he's tired of second place, you know, he was talking about being number two in the draft, number two for everything and all that. If he's tired of it this early on, that just shows a competitive edge. But if he's saying, like, he doesn't want anyone complimenting him, I mean, what do you want to be, like, 30? 
And if people are complimenting you, you can say, stop it. But I mean, he was, I think, like 22 at the time, 22 years old or 23 years old. He's still a young guy. You know, like Luka Doncic, we're talking the exact same thing about him. You don't see him saying, you know, I'm tired of being in second place because he knows there's room to grow. He knows there's room to grow. Now, one of the other statements I thought was kind of shocking, I would say, is he was talking about the 2016 offseason where he moved to Golden State. And he said in his mind he was a perfect fit with Golden State, and he would, quote, do that-ish a million times over. Perfect fit? Perfect fit, I'm not sure, is the right word to use, okay? Because this, this team was totally... They were fine. They were fine without him. They won 73 games in the regular season and were one game away from being the greatest team in NBA history. And he's saying he's a perfect fit with how they work on both ends of the floor and on offense. Okay, here's here's the perfect fit. A perfect fit would be maybe that 2016 Celtics team when they were led by Isaiah Thomas and Thomas was the only offensive scorer. Okay, the idea of Isaiah Thomas leading a team was still totally out in the air for everybody. So if Durant went there, he would be the ultimate and without any question leader. And Isaiah Thomas would be the secondary player. That's a perfect fit. That's a perfect fit. So basically, Durant is saying, I will ring chase with a 73 win team over and over and over. That just doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, that also talks about, you know, he explained about why the haters, I think, are still mad. Because he thinks they're still mad that Durant went to Golden State. And part of that, I will say, is true. But keep in mind, after Golden State, that he went to Brooklyn and formed a super team, okay? That's basically like everyone was looking at him like a LeBron James wannabe or something like that. He goes to another team, forms a super team, and wins championship. Now he's going to another team to try and build a super team like LeBron did when he left Miami to go back to Cleveland. All right? Don't get me wrong. Durant is a great talent, but some of these quotes and explanations were a little confusing to me, especially when he's talking about playing with Kyrie. And he's talking about Kyrie Irving, and he said people don't like Kyrie because of the decisions he made to leave Cleveland and Boston. Yeah, that's partly true. And the quote is that he said he hasn't said anything to disrespect anybody. Now, that could be true. But this is also a guy who, when he was with Boston, would say, I will sign a long term. I will sign a long term. This was in October. And when January comes, he said, oh, not yet. I've had some time to think. And then he leaves Boston. Okay. So I think it's... It, it's a confusing thing to, for, for Kyrie Irving, but I do not think that's why people don't like him. It's because he says some stuff that is a little bit questioning. It's a little bit questioning. But the one soundbite that I really wanted to take out of this was the situation where Durant left and ultimately what led him to leave Golden State. And a lot of people were saying it was that game against the Clippers where Green and Durant had that argument, and I actually want to play the soundbite from this, and there is some vulgar commentary about this, so just be aware of that. But this is Draymond Green and Kevin Durant explaining the situation during the argument 
and afterwards. So take a look at this. It wasn't the argument. It was the the way that everybody, Steve Kerr, act like it didn't happen. Bob Myers and tried to just discipline you and think that that would put the mask over everything. I really felt like that was such a big situation for us as a group. The first time we went through something like that, we had to get that shit all out. I remember watching The Last Dance, and when Scotty didn't go into the game, the whole team in the locker room said, Scotty, that was fucked up that you did that. We needed that. Mm -hmm. We just needed to throw all of that shit out on the table and say, yo, Dre, K, like, that was fucked up that we even had to go through that. Let's just wipe our hands with that and go, go finish the task. I don't think we did that. We tried to dance around it. I just didn't like how all of that, just the vibe between all of that, it just made shit weird to me. And I'd rather us be who we say we are, family first. Communication is key. Like, I, we didn't show that, and I, that's what rubbed me the wrong way more than anything. When we landed back from L.A., I sat in the, Hazel was sitting in the car for an hour and 45 minutes. They pulled me in that room at Signature for an hour and 45 minutes, and they tried to tell me, you need to apologize. And I told them, I'll talk to Kay, but y'all aren't going to tell me what I need to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they went on for an hour and 45 minutes talking, saying a bunch of bullshit. And ultimately, they realized, all right, we're not getting through to him. We're going to try again in the morning. And so we met the next morning, and they said, all right, you slept on it. You ready to apologize? And I told them right then and there, I said, y'all about to fuck this up. I said, the only person that can make this right is me and Kay. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing that y'all can do, and y'all are going to fuck this up. And in my opinion, they fucked it up. I think so, too. And they told me right then and there, like, we're going to suspend you for this game. I laughed in their face, literally laughed in their face. And Bob said to me, he said, um, wow, that was not the reaction I was looking for or expecting. And I said, well, either I'm going to laugh in your face or I'm going to cuss you the fuck out. So you pick, I'm going to choose laugh. So I, I think what you're doing is funny. And so I'm going to laugh. And so it's interesting to hear you say essentially the same thing that I told them that day. Man, I got to tell you, that, <laughs> that was the takeaway from this interview. The absolute takeaway from this video. I mean... Steve Kerr and Bob Myers effing up the situation by forcing Draymond to apologize. First off, why would they want Green to apologize? It's because they're catering to their franchise player. They, th they think they're trying to keep Durant around. And basically they're, say they're saying Durant is our superstar and we want him to stay forever. So we're going to give him the superstar treatment. Draymond, you're just a side piece. You're the, you're the Robin to his Batman. Okay, and downplaying this because I think that's, you know, Durant referenced the last dance and the Chicago Bulls and that Scottie Pippen situation where everyone aired it out. And I like teams that do that. I like teams that, you know, don't hide. They get real in the locker room and they just air it out. I think all the great teams will have situations like this. And if they just air it out and have people just get stuff off their chest rather than downplaying it like these two explained what management did then I think things would be better because this is not a situation from the outside. And this team, if you saw in the past, get along very well. They get along very well from those first two years. Why would they not be champions? 
You know, if they didn't get well, they wouldn't have been back-to-back and go to four straight finals. Two, if you count Durant being on that team. But just to see management try and step in and do that, you know, I don't blame Green for feeling that way. You know, basically saying, I'm a laugh in your face, basically. You know, I don't blame him at all, but I ultimately am on the side of the players for this one because I don't think, you know, an on-court argument is a situation where it has to be downplayed by management. You have to talk to the players and let the players handle it themselves. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot more of from coaches depending on the situation is that just let the players handle the situation themselves but i gotta say watching an interview like this where the players just speak and are totally you know they take the chains off they peel back the curtain i love seeing that and hopefully we get some more but it was just so refreshing to finally hear some honest answers from kevin durant about his time in golden state time for our let's get local segment of the week and there's a lot of news to unpack and we'll just get right into it and talk about the patriots everyone wanted to see what mac jones was going to look like in his first actual game action and i talked about how mac jones looked in our earlier segment and i thought he looked good i still don't think he's ready though to get that starting role i still think cam newton is the favorite to be that week one starter but to talk about the other positions to really that I thought really stood out to me. I thought against Washington, the defense looked great. I thought all of them were really great. I thought the defensive line was good. Judon is a good voice in the locker room for what we're hearing, and he's effective on that defensive line. I would say outside the secondary, this team looked great because the secondary shows how much the Pats need Stephon Gilmore. They need him back ASAP. Belichick has got to figure it out because with Gilmore in that secondary, This is a top 10 defense. I will argue that. I will even say a top 10 defense, I think. But they allowed 245 pass yards. That just shows how much depth they don't have without Gilmore. That's why he's so important, because Gilmore is a guy who makes everyone better. J.C. Jackson's not going to be a number number one corner. Jonathan Jones isn't going to be a number one quarter. Jalen Mills isn't. It's got to be Gilmore. It has to be Stephon Gilmore. So the Patriots better figure out that situation and get Gilmore at least ready for week one because he is a necessity for this team. But outside of the defense, I would say the biggest surprise to me and to most people was Ramondre Stevenson. Okay, the rookie from Oklahoma, I don't think anyone expected him to have the kind of game he had. I mean, 10 carries for 127 yards, Two touchdowns, including the one in the last minute or so that was 91 yards. I mean, this is a guy who is a big body back that I think Belichick loves to have on his roster. You know, he had a LeGarrette Blunt for many years. You know, I think Belichick loves those kind of guys. And it could just be a one game off or something like that. But I think Stevenson is someone you might want to keep on this opening day roster. I really do because... You know, he's still probably going to be behind Damian Harris, behind Sony Michelle, and James White. But he could be 
and I say could very loosely, he could be just that goal line, punch it in running back if you need it from the one-yard line, and either Cam Newton can't put it in himself or all the running backs have been stuffed at the goal line. So he could be that guy where you throw him in there, you get sort of an ISO formation, and you just let him bulldoze his way into the end zone. But I was very surprised to see Stevenson have such a good game. And you know Belichick loves to have that depth at running back. So I would not be surprised to see this guy make the roster. And then lastly, I want to talk about the kicking game. Because Quinn Nordeen, you got to say that right. It's spelled Norden, but it's Nordeen. I mean, the kicker position is such an overlooked spot. Because when you look at this team, they went seamlessly from Adam Vinatieri to Steven Guskowski. And it's only in the past number of years that they've had a little bit of struggling in the kicking game, you know, with Nick, uh, Nick Folk and all that. But Nordine, he has been making noise from what I'm hearing about training camp and in this game. I mean, against Washington, he was 3-for-3 three three on his field goals. He did miss an extra point, which I think Belichick isn't so fond of. But he's really taking advantage of this opportunity because Nick Folk is sidelined right now. And I think he's in his upper 30s, so Folk doesn't have that many years left. But I would not be surprised to see Nordine be the starting kicker by week one. Not at all. Because what we're hearing is that he's making long field goals in practice. He's got such a powerful leg. And, you know, I I think I would not be surprised to see him be the starting kicker. Absolutely not. Especially going forward. Because I think after Goskowski, it was really a, a need for the Pats to get a kicker, you know, that they, they can hang on long-term, like Vinatieri and Goskowski. And Nordin might be the guy. He might be the guy. I'm not sure if he is. But so far, he has looked pretty good. Pretty good. And it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight in Philadelphia because they had those joint practices. You know, Cam Newton was throwing a lot of checkdowns and stuff like that. I'm very curious to see what happens in this game. If Mac Jones struggles a little bit, if... Cam Newton gets more playing time. I think, you know, again, for the remaining questions that are after this preseason week one, I think, you know, more questions are going to be answered by week two. And we get to week three, we'll start to figure out, you know, who's going to be in that starting quarterback, O-line, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, that's just preseason. We have to talk about the postseason. And I mean postseason chase for the Red Sox because I talked about it in the MLB segment but they are losing their playoff security. They have just, you know, even a rollover series against Baltimore can't save this team because now they're in a three-way race for the wild card with the Athletics and the Yankees. And I believe they're down one game after being swept in these last three games over two days by New York. Okay? This team is just... they're, They're not what they're used to. You know, this was... Everyone said in the first half... They're an overachieving team, and now you're seeing them come back down to earth. But they shouldn't come this far back down to earth. They shouldn't be down to the earth's core. They should still be a little better than this. They have Devers, Bogarts, Martinez. They all made the all-star team, okay? Hunter Renfro's played well. Hernandez has played well. Verdugo's playing better. Vasquez is playing better, and they still can't win. Just what this offense is doing, blowing their opportunities is basically becoming a routine because I don't think this is solely squarely on the pitching because I think the way their rotation is set up is probably the best that they can manage, you know, with Chris Sale coming back, even though he's not his dominant self. 
but you put him and you move Richards and Perez to the bullpen. Those are the guys where if your starter struggles, you can throw them in there for two or three innings and get the bullpen and all that. The bullpen is struggling, though. But again, pitching is not the sole reason. It's the offense. The offense isn't making timely hits. They are making timely hits, but it's against bad teams. It's against the Orioles. Everyone puts up like 15 runs against the Orioles. Everyone puts up nine runs against the Orioles, okay? That's easy. You can't look at this series and say, okay, they turned it around for sure. Because what they did in New York shows that they still need a lot of work. They still need a lot of work. And who knows, maybe this off day before these next three series are going to be very important for this Red Sox team to just regather and know that they are in a dogfight. But I think the next three upcoming series for the Red Sox are must-win. You know, it's it's hard to say that when you're in the middle of August, but these are must-win, okay? You're hosting Texas, you're hosting Minnesota, and you travel to Cleveland. Those are three series that you should win because those three teams are struggling. You should win those games. And if they don't, might as well just pack your bags and say goodbye to the postseason because if they can't win those series, might as well just start booking tea times right now because they're not going to make the playoffs if they don't win those series. That's how they hold on to this heading into the last month. It's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any easier for the Red Sox. You know, they've got to play the Yankees again. They've got to play the Rays again. They've got to play Toronto. Uh, no, they don't. Have, excuse me. They don't have to play Toronto. They've got a very tough schedule still upcoming. You know, Chicago, they have to play. They're, I mentioned the Rays multiple times. Seattle, the Mets, the Yankees. These are teams where they are toss-ups. So you need to win the series against these kinds of teams, teams that are struggling. And if they don't, then the postseason run is over. And it's just, it's just shocking. It's shocking to see where this team is at now. Because before the All-Star break, they had the best record in baseball. And how they might not even make the postseason. It's like you get so angry, but it's also laughable. Because again, this just goes back to the front office not making any improvements and just riding with this team saying, you know what, if we win, we win. If we don't, who cares, essentially. You know, but the players can't look at that. They can't look at that. They have to, you know, we're talking like three weeks after the trade deadline, okay? Get past it and start winning some games. And speaking of a team that needs to win some games, the Celtics do need to win some games, you know, this upcoming year. And they think for the future, Marcus Smart is a valuable piece. Otherwise, they would not sign him to a four-year, $77 million extension. So Boston's going to hold on to Marcus Smart for a little bit longer. And I think it shows how valuable he is to Brad Stevens and new coach Ime Odoka. I think they both think how intangible smart is i don't think it's because of his offense or anything like that i just think he's a fan favorite he's got toughness he's got drive he's got defense that this team is looking for the only thing he can't do is just throw up threes willy-nilly that's all it is because i think last year with all the injuries and the inconsistencies of this team he was just trying to play hero okay and he can't be that guy for the Celtics. So he has to be, no pun intended, smart about his shot selection and knowing that, you know, he's not this go-to offensive 
weapon that they're looking for, you know, a secondary Kemba Walker or something like that. Because he's now playing off of Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder is an offensive guy. He's an offensive guy. He can be that third option. And that way, Smart can sort of just be ready for the catch and shoot. He can drive to the basket while being that tough defensive player that everyone loves for him. So I think, you know, I, I go back and forth with Smart so much. I think he is an intangible piece for the Celtics team if they're going to go far because you just need that bulldog kind of player on every kind of successful team. And I think Smart is that guy. I think Marcus Smart is that guy. You know, does it translate to success for this team this upcoming year? Maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll give it a good maybe 60% chance. But in terms of the future, you know, if you're trying to get a max superstar or something like that, you know, first it had to be signed off by Tatum and Brown. They had to sign off. If we're going to sign them to an extension, you two have got to agree. And they both said yes, clearly. And then it's just about attracting those kind of free agents because they'll have a ton of space. They're probably going to move Al Horford's salary to make up some more for a max player. But if they say, huh, this smart might be good to have on the roster. It might be fun to play with. That would be the key for this Celtics team. If they think smart is a player that can help attract free agents with his style of play, then go ahead, sign him to that extension. But, you know, there's still plenty of time before the regular season gets underway. But in the city of Boston, we're looking for wins. And wins is what everyone should be striving for. our show we look at the things that make us laugh and make us giggle it's our lol moment of the week and i gotta say this one was a little surprising to see not so much surprising as the content of it but just something that you wouldn't think is an lol but it's something that kind of hits everyone when you first look at it so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week is going to Travis Kelsey, the tight end, all pro from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, what makes him this week's LOL? Well, take a look at this photo right here. This is his standard, you know, the way he normally looks. You know, he's got the signature beard and all that. Looks like a fun guy. But check out what he did just a few days ago. Boom. The beard is gone. He shaved it off and he looks like a totally new person. I mean... When I first saw the the photo of him clean-shaven, I was shocked. I was like, whoa, I did not know this guy had a signature beard look. And, you know, he's one of those players where you don't think he has some sort of signature look. You know, like, uh, trying to think of some players like Johnny Damon with the long hair or Andrew McCutcheon with the dreadlocks, Mike Napoli, Johnny Gomes with the beard and all that. But this is, apparently this is a guy who's had a beard for a long time and a lot of people recognize him with the beard now he looks unrecognizable you know bet your Patrick Mahomes is thinking without that number 87 on his chest he's not gonna know who that guy is he's gonna look at Kels and he's gonna be like hey Kels it'll be like hey he's like oh I thought it was you and to see him shave was a little bit surprising because you know there was a short time where he was part of Old Spice with him and his brother Jason who was on the Eagles at one point 
they were sponsored by Old Spice and you know just being able to clean up and be clean with the with the beard and all that but to see it gone is you know it's kind of sad a little bit you know you just got to get used to this sort of new guy I guess kind of a new guy I mean maybe he's just trying to lose some weight so he can keep up with the uh, speedster Tyreek Hill you know or maybe he can prove himself to be the fastest tight end in the league if he just cuts a little bit of that off I mean I'm a guy with with a beard too. It's probably got to go relatively soon, but just to see to see it gone is is very very surprising to to see Travis Kelsey sort of take that risk and say, you know what, this is a signature look. Let's uh, let's get rid of it. You know, very very taken back. You know, I don't think that's going to change. Obviously, you know how great of a tight end he is, but it's just looking at him when he takes his helmet off the sidelines. You got to remember, oh, that's uh, Travis Kelsey over there on the sideline talking to Mahomes. It's not a, a backup tight end or anything like that. So Travis Kelsey, you know, this is kind of a short one, but the fact that you decided to clean off your signature beard and become a whole new human has landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much again for tuning in on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for listening or if you're watching us on YouTube. Don't forget we have some other pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram head over and give them a follow. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.